Well, we've been looking at the counterfeit life, this endless pursuit for more. Last week, we talked about fame. And next week, we're going to talk about that elusive pursuit of perfection. But today, we're going to talk about something that I believe probably impacts most of us. We're going to talk about chasing money and things, that material stuff. Now, most of us wouldn't call ourselves rich, but we'd probably love to be rich or at least would like to have a little bit more. I did research on this idea to find out what people say they would actually do for more money. What would you do for $5 million? Well, I found an article that talked about what people would do for $5 million. And according to this article, 54% of people would listen to country music only for the rest of their life. 54% of people. 42% of people said they would have all their teeth removed. Ouch and ooh. I mean, maybe they're going to like buy fake ones because they're then rich. I don't know. 24% of people said they would live in solitude for the next 20 years for $5 million. Now, I like my own company, but 20 years. Now, Gallup did a poll and interviewed a lot of people to find out what is rich. In other words, if you want to be rich, at what point will you, will you know you're actually rich? When do you have enough money and stuff for you to say, OK, now I finally crossed that line and I'm rich? What's interesting is the responses, as you would anticipate, varied depending on where someone already was. For those who made $30,000 a year, the average response of what, it would, what they would need to make to be rich was $74,000 a year. If they slightly over doubled their income, they would feel rich. And there are some of you who make $74,000 a year and say, I've got news for you, that doesn't feel very rich at all. For those who make $50,000 a year, they responded that it would take $100,000 a year to feel rich. And again, many of you have a couple of kids and a mortgage and car payments, and you make $100,000, you like say, it doesn't really feel rich at all where I am. But that, that's what people say they would need. And so they asked the top income earners, people that earned well into the six figures, those people, what would it take to be rich? And the average response was that it would take $5 million in assets. Then you'd be rich. So if you're the poor joker that only has $2 million in assets, you don't feel rich because you need $5 million to feel rich. We live with this continual pursuit for more. Rich is a moving line, isn't it? If one day I get to this point, make this much a year and I have this much, then I will feel rich. But you get there, you cross that line and what happens? The line moves. What do you need to be happy? What do you need to feel rich, to be satisfied in life? Most people, people would say, I'm not really quite sure, but I do know it's more than what I have now. This is why Jesus talks so much about a right perspective on money and things. Your life, the quality of your life is not measured by the volume of your stuff. Jesus tells us to be on our guard, to be very, very careful because everything in culture is shouting at us. You need this. You need more. Again and again, the dominant message you're going to hear from our world is that you, what you don't have is actually what you need. What you need to be happy is something else. Amy read a story early, earlier for us from Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And in the story, this guy who was a rich man and evidently a farmer had a great harvest. He had this bumper year of crops, a record year. And he asked, what am I going to do? Here I've got all this money coming in and all these crops. And the guy says, 
I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns and then I'll retire early. I'll take life easy and I'll throw a whole lot of parties. Well, here's what's fascinating to me about this story. God wasn't at all mad at this guy for being rich. Think about it. He was a farmer who made him rich. God made the guy rich. God gave the bountiful harvest. It's not wrong to be rich. Abraham, Solomon and Job, they were all described in the Bible, not just as rich, but as very rich. The rich man of our text is not criticised or condemned because he was wealthy. Wealth does not in itself damn and poverty does not in itself save. But in Luke 12, we see it's this trust, this belief in material things that condemned the rich man. God was disappointed in this guy because he was not rich towards God. He was missing being rich in the things that mattered most. And so when Jesus is telling this story, he's speaking to a very large crowd, probably about 10,000 plus people. And the crowd is mixed. Some are on the fence when it comes to Jesus. They're, they're interested in the show, but they're still trying to figure him out. And then there are those that are there for the right reasons and hanging on every word that Jesus says. And this man interrupts with a demand. We're going to look at Luke 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, in, to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. This is the first of the three lies I want us to consider briefly today in, in chasing the counterfeit goal of money and stuff. What are the lies we tell ourselves? What are the lies this guy told himself? Lie number one, our life depends on an abundance of possessions. The man in the crowd, he yells out in the midst of Jesus' teaching and he demands that he makes a ruling. It's not a request, but a, a command of Jesus. You know, Jesus is here and he's in the middle of teaching about the kingdom of God, of sin, of repentance and salvation. He's talking about these deep spiritual issues. But this man is not in the least bit concerned with his soul and he cares nothing about what's being taught. He's consumed with materialism and greed and what he's owed. Greed has overtaken him. He has believed his, the lie that his life depends on an abundance of possessions. We see Jesus' very firm comeback. Jesus quickly clarifies that, that his concern is not helping this man through his stuff, but rather his concern or this man becomes a sermon illustration of what is really important, a sermon illustration on how greed can consume us. That warning in verse 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The word here for guard against is key. It's more than just to passively stand guard. It's, it's a word that's much more aggressive than being careful. It means to protect at all costs, to do whatever is necessary. This is how aggressive Jesus wants us to guard against greed. It's based on that term, beware, an intense term. We wouldn't expect to see a, time, a sign that says beware of wet paint or beware the new grass has been sown because that word's too strong for that use. But we would expect to see a sign that says, beware of the bad dog, or maybe some other more intense word than bad, or beware, bridge out. So when Jesus says, beware, he was indicating great danger. You, 
you could fall off this cliff if you go any further. It's not just a general caution. Jesus also gives insight to the essential fundamental error of greed. That is that greed makes us think that life is comprised and composed of just those things we possess. And isn't there a bit of accuracy to this? Do we not judge our life at times like this? We consider if we have money or material goods that we are better off. And maybe sometimes if we admit it, maybe just plain better than those who do not have them. This is what Jesus was attacking when he asked the rhetorical question in the Sermon on the Mount. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Possessions are counterfeit goals. They lie to us and they tell us that we'll find happiness in an abundance of stuff. But Jesus tells us that our lives have nothing to do with the abundance of possessions. It's not what you own. It's what owns you that really matters. Another lie that the rich fool believed chasing after a counterfeit goal, the lie he believed was that possessions provide security. Possessions provide security. Going on from verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. The thinking of this man is consumed with selfishness. He has no thoughts about God's kingdom or helping others. Notice he thinks to himself, there there wasn't even anyone else in the equation. It doesn't say he spoke to his wife or his kids. It doesn't say that he considered anyone else. It was just him. What shall I do? Notice the words, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. So here's the lie. The man believed that the success of his crops came about through hard work and sweat. He thought he was responsible for his bumper crop. He believed it all belonged to him. My, my, my. But the reality is God has placed us as stewards over our possessions. We know that we can sow and water, but it's God who brings the increase. And when we're given an increase or an abundance, we need to ask God why and determine what He wants us to do with the abundance. And I guarantee it's not to hoard it, but to share it. This man also wrongly believed he could keep it and that his life would now be comprised of rest and relaxation. Look at all the stuff I've accumulated and it's all mine, so I'm set for life. So many people live their lives to retire. They think that once they retire, their lives will be so much better and that all they'll need to do is relax and enjoy themselves. They believe the lie that possessions, a certain amount of money, a certain amount of super will provide security. He was so consumed with keeping it that he began to, or keeping it all, keeping everything that he'd made, that he began to think irrationally. He was going to tear down the barns and build bigger barns, which would use up more land um, that, that he could have put farmland on and use up more money. He would do anything to keep his stuff. This is like the person who pays storage fees for years only to discover that they've been paying to store mould and rot. 
A few years ago, you might want to have a look back on YouTube. In, in um, A couple of years ago, we unpacked the teaching of Paul in 1 Timothy in a series called Being Rich. And the key verse was verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The truth was this man, he was set for life, but he wasn't set for death. Jesus shares this very chilling reality. This, this man's life was hours from ending, but his hope was not in God as Timothy advised, but his hope was in stuff. His hope needed to be in God who richly provided for him. Which brings us to lie number three that contributes to this counterfeit goal of money and stuff. Lie number three, possessions are ours to keep. Going on in Luke 12, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The reality was that this man had banked on the fact that he had many years ahead to enjoy the life of ease. All he really did was hoard stuff to give away after he died. Now, I'm sure there was a whole lot of eating and drinking and being merry while the heirs were dividing the inheritance. All the man had was left behind because as they say, you can't take it with you. And Jesus summarises in verse 21. He says, This is how it will be with whoever stores things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Everything the man had banked on to make his life easy and secure was now going to someone else. And what he really needed... He didn't have. He was bankrupt when it came to God. He had nothing of value for eternity. He'd laid up treasure for himself on earth, but had no treasure in heaven. He was a foolish investor. And that's why we call him the rich fool. He'd cashed in his super. He'd purchased his beach house. He'd poured himself a glass of lemonade and dropped in the little fancy umbrella. And then he'd fallen over dead. He'd never given God a second of his time or a second of his thought. But now he was meeting God and all his wealth was worthless. You know, we need to fight against listening to and believing the counterfeit, the lies of possessions. We live in a country that's been given an abundance of possessions. We have a lot of stuff. But is that what we are now chasing after? Chasing after possessions is like chasing after the wind. The, the line keeps moving. People never have enough and their stuff never quite satisfies and they can never ever find a way to keep it. Riches are either stolen, they rust out, they vaporise in the stock market. And while we have them in our power, we need to use them for the most good and to give God the most glory. The rich fool wasn't as happy as he thought he would be because he was anxious about how he was going to be able to keep it all, how he was going to keep everything for himself. I'm sure he spent many a sleepless night thinking about how he could do just that. When we misuse our abundance, we too become anxious. We too spend more money trying to find ways to keep it. But the Bible teaches that we're to work hard and then depend on God to supply our needs. It's good to have some in the bank. It's good to have some abundance, not to keep, but to share. God has given us an abundance in order that we would have extra, 
not to hoard. The Bible tells us that we're to work hard, work hard so that we do have more than we need. Not to hoard the extra, but to give to others who are in need and to support the work of God's kingdom. So how are you doing? Are you busy at work in order to have some extra to give? Do do you have an abundance that you've come to find security in? Or are you finding your security in Jesus and trusting his advice? Paul's advice to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it continues after he says to command people to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He goes on, he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I encourage you to ask God today to search your heart, to let you know if you're chasing the counterfeit rather than chasing that life that is truly life. This week, I encourage you to try to focus less on what you don't have and more on the abundance that God has given to you. Perhaps it will help your perspective to think of a way to use everything that God has given you to help someone in need this week. And please remember that if we can help you or we can pray for you, please reach out. We are here. We have discussion sheets and a Bible study that can help you to explore this area further if God has challenged you today. And my prayer is that God will bless you and continue to challenge you as you continue to chase after real life.